Here we go. Oh God, our Heavenly Father, since we can't stand before you on our own works, we beg you to send your Holy Spirit into our hearts that we may be comforted by your mercy and by your help overcome all that torments of us by reason of our sin. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Uh, I've got a handout. I've got two, but I just first I'm going to try to finish up the one I've got. Does anybody need that? Uh, just the one from the past few weeks? Anybody need I'll send one your way, Delph. Could you help me, Heather? Would you please? Anybody who needs one? Just the same one you've had the last two weeks. I'm really going to try to get out from under it. If you have a million dollars, put it in this bag. We'll send it to Ghana or Russia or somewhere. Betty, you got a million bucks on you? Well, drop whatever you got, so it'll be okay. And I forgot to, Pastor, can you help me? I forgot to bring the attendance sheets out from my shelf. That is so good. Thank you so much. Good, okay. Uh, you know, I'm going to try to move. I'm going to try to move all the way through this today, the rest of the way. Um, but I just want to chatter with you a little bit about why, why I'm doing what I'm doing. For some of you, I think it seems like a little bit of a detour, but I assure you that it's not. Uh, because if you read, you know, when I when we're reading the text that we're reading, um, and we get to Galatians three or to James two, these guys who are pastors kind of ratcheted up on their congregations. And as I said to you last time. You know, if I started a sermon, you know, you fools, which is exactly how uh, Galatians starts chapter 3, you know, you just kind of wonder what would happen. Uh, and, you know, I assure you, uh, you know, we try not to be harsh with the congregation. I, I mean, sometimes we're perceived as harsh, and I think probably that's true sometimes, and sometimes it's not, and, you know, communication is always a back and forth and thing. But... Um, you know, what I got to musing about is that the rest of these, there's going to be quite a lot of directive in the rest of Galatians and in the rest of James. And I just, I just want to observe um, that it's not always easy for us to do and it's not always easy for you to hear. My very first congregation, great folks, but before I was even ordained, before I took my first breath there, while we were still being introduced, and you, you always wonder how things can happen like this, but they do. Um, people pop in, you know, they always want to see who the new guy is, and we were wandering around, and somebody... A, a woman came in. She's a very nice woman. God, she came to be a very good friend while we were there. But, uh, you know, she didn't know me, and I didn't know her. And she said, uh, as always happens, let me give you some advice. She said, uh, you can do whatever you want, but don't preach on divorce in this congregation. She said, because most of us are divorced, and the day you preach on divorce, you're gone. Okay? Hey, great to see you, too. Thanks for my first call. Okay, now that's a very... That is not an uncommon experience for pastors to have. Uh, now, I don't, I don't say that for any other reason, just to show you sort of the dynamic that's at work when a pastor says this, not that, or not that, but this, and how that's spoken and how that's heard and uh, you know, how, how things kind of work back and forth. And pastors are aware, you, you, you may not realize this, but pastors are aware that some of what they say hurts people, not because it's wrong, but because it hurts. And you always want to be aware of a pastor who kind of enjoys putting it on people. I've said to you in the past that when people walk out the door, occasionally, once a year, somebody say, way to go, you really gave them hell. Uh, one is I'm always thinking, who, who am were, you know? Who are them that just got hell? Why not you? And then I always think to myself, you know, <laughs> complete miss. So, uh, you know, there's all these dynamics going on, but I, I probably want to start with one thing and end with another, which I think there's two issues um, uh, that need to be spoken of. One is theology, the other is authority. We'll try to move through those today. 
And then also I want to try to show a do how, that, how that's often dodged in the end uh, by sort of uh, confusing the pastor with, uh, with the message. And so we want to talk about a little bit, and I'm going to try to move you all the way through that. Um, and hopefully then our life together goes, uh, you know, a bit more smoothly because you figure out what I'm supposed to do and uh, I, uh, I, I figure out what, what, what you're supposed to do. If we have time, I'll give you a real-time addendum uh, from a letter that I got somebody, uh, you know, within the last six months or so, and I've asked permission to share it with you, but I uh, wouldn't surprise somebody, but, uh, uh, you know, sort of, sort of we'll kind of work through that. Okay, so this is the one thing to remember, and I'm going to start kind of on page, what says page 31 for you. So has everybody got one? You got an outline? Anybody need one? Del, did you get one? You got one? So this is about page 31. <clears throat> one of the important things going forward is that we share a common theological language, or we have a common understanding of what we believe. Uh, Lutherans have this law gospel thing going on, but they don't do a very good job. Even at the pastor's conference, I was struck by, you know, you, get, you put 200 pastors in a room, and, and they struggle with the distinction of law and gospel. Now, haven't you said, or weren't you saying, or doesn't that... And I tried to give you last week a single thing that I think will clean up all your language and all your thinking about law and gospel. And it's this. There wasn't any in Eden. There wasn't any in Eden. There was no law and gospel in Eden. If you start this way, everything will work. If you don't start this way, you have these unresolved tensions that don't make for very good care. So here's the first thing. In Eden, there is just the Word, or the Trinity. But let's just make it easy, the Word. There's just Christ, okay? And he loves Adam, and he loves Eve, and he walks with them in the cool of the day, and everything is defined by love, and they're perfectly aligned with him, and he's perfectly loving toward them. And he, in their exchange, reveals himself. He tells them more and more about himself. He gives them more and more to do. They do more and more. He loves more and more. They love more and more. You got it? Everything is wonderful. There is the word and those whom the word has created. And he is in a constant state of revealing himself to them. On the day that they disobey, that word who has always been love and care and kindness now becomes for them terror and judgment and death. That is the very first story in the scripture. If you don't get that story right, you won't get any of the rest of the scriptures right. And that's what we mean by the law. Jesus, who is pure love, pure gospel, pure for them, now burns against them, not because he wants to be against them, but because they've rebelled against him. So in Eden, there's no law and gospel. There's only gospel, if you will. There's only Christ. In the world, outside Eden, there's law and gospel. Someday, in the new Eden, there will be no law or gospel again. If you understand this, and I put it to you this way, every word can be said two ways, a law way and a gospel way. The Holy Supper is either the forgiveness of your sins, 1 Corinthians 10, or a judgment that kills you, 1 Corinthians 11. 
It can be said a law way and a gospel way. It can be said as demand and judgment. It can be said as love and salvation. Christ himself comes on the last day, Matthew 26. He separates the sheep from the goats. On the goat side is the law side. Sorry, you wouldn't ever see me in prison or be kind to me or, or, or love me. And on the gospel side, it's people going, ooh, didn't see him, but I didn't know you were there. And he says, ah, come on now, let's go. This will be great, back to Eden. So last week, we, now sometimes, especially when I give this little speech at seminary things, you know, their knees all jerk, and they think that I'm saying that the law is a bad thing. No, the law is not a bad thing. Christ fulfills the law. Love fulfills the law. The law is perfectly fulfilled in Christ. It's a great thing. It just hurts like hell when it's put on you because it means your end if something good doesn't happen. Okay? Everybody okay with that? So every word can be said two way, a law way, the law demands, the law weighs, the law measures, the, the, the law judges. You're not as holy as Christ. You're not as good as Christ. You can't keep the law perfectly like Christ. If you refuse his body and blood at the altar, you're judged by Christ. If you aren't kind to strangers and you don't feed the poor and don't see people in prison on the last day, it's going to go badly for you before Christ. That's all Christ is the way of the law. I even hate saying that. I just, it's difficult even to say that. But to receive the gift, to rejoice in love, to live in obedience, to care only for the Eucharist, to deliver forgiveness, to live in peace, all of that is the way of the gospel. You'll have Christ one way or you'll have him another, okay? But if you, just, if you can just get the single point that every word can be said two ways, the law way and a gospel way, we live beyond Eden and we're going back to Eden. In Eden and the new Eden, you won't have to worry about this. But in present time, it takes a lot of work to sort out what the law and the gospel is, okay? So I'm at the bottom of the 30, uh, 31. The gospel is running with the word. It gives, it blesses, it forgives, it encourages, it bids us to come play. It sounds like amen, and yes, and more please. Its verbs are passive. Christ baptizes me. Christ gives me the Eucharist. Christ forgives me. See, I'm just like a lump, and he's given me all these gifts, and, you know, it's just great stuff. And that, of course, enlivens me, gives me a spirit that's a new, you know, soak of divine energy. Here we go. But the verbs are passive, and Christ does it. I'm, you know, even I'm getting my eyes examined on Friday, and the woman is, uh, there's a woman next to me, and she says, you know, I'm just terrified. I, Baba, I, Baba. And all I said was, start all your sentences with Jesus. Just please stop talking about yourself. If you talk about yourself, you're always going to be terrified. I come up short. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm so worried about the future. I don't know how I can survive. I don't know about my kids. I don't know how long I'm going to live. I don't know about my mother. I Stop talking about yourself. That's the law. You're not measuring up. The gospel is Christ loves me, Christ cares for me, Christ knows the way. Christ puts the things together that I can't see that he's even putting them together. Christ gathers us as a family. Christ blesses us. Christ sustains us. Christ will see us through. In Christ all is well. That's the gospel. Stop talking about yourself and talk about Christ, okay? Everybody okay with that? The question about that, it's so important, because if you don't get that, 
You won't get the next step. So the first step is knowing the difference. Yes, please. So what does it mean for Christ to fulfill the law? Is that a fair way of talking about your question? Okay, so I'm only quoting, just seeing, and this kind of happens sometimes, you just kind of, I'm quoting Romans 10:4, where it says Christ is the telos of the law. It's kind of quoted as end, but it really means the target and the fulfillment. So Christ is everything right. Did you grow up Lutheran? I think you did. You didn't. But you'll recognize this. Did you grow up Catholic? I can't remember. Did you grow up? Did you grow up You'll probably recognize this anyway. We often talk about Christ. Occasionally, somebody, you'll hear a, a pastor break out his textbook where it says, talks about Christ as prophet, priest, and king. In fact, he even could have done it last week because Moses is the great prophet, and, and, or Moses is the, uh, and Elijah is the great prophet, and Moses is the great you know, lawgiver, and you often hear sermons about this time of year about that. But one of the ways is Christ to say Christ is the perfect king, Christ is the perfect priest, Christ is the perfect. All of Hebrews is about how Christ does all the things that we couldn't do, right? So it just means that Christ comes and is perfect. And that, in fact, you know, now this little atonement theory, he fulfills it so well that he opens the door for you too. In fact, he gives his perfection to you. That's what we mean by forgiveness or righteousness. Kind of basic stuff. He's this overwhelming righteousness, and you're less than overwhelming righteousness. That's what your wife says when she comes to my office. No, she never comes to my office. I'm just kidding. No, she's just, no. Yes, well, yeah, that's what you say. That's right. Oh, I shouldn't have. Oh, did I break confidence? Okay, so he takes his righteousness and he gives it to you. That's one way we've always talked about um, salvation, right? That he, he gives you his mercy. He gives you his obedience. He gives you all that he is. He gives you himself. So we've said to you repeatedly, when you take the Eucharist and the Father looks at you, he sees his son. When you die, the Heavenly Father can't destroy you because inside you is his son, and he can't destroy his son. That's why you're saved, because he looks at you and he sees Christ. Okay, this is great. It's a good news. He fulfilled the law. You know, or I'll give you another one. This is a typical seminary question when you're going out the when seminary professors want to torture you. Give me one word that fulfills law and gospel. Christ is one, but here's another one. Love. To love perfectly is to fulfill the law. That's what, what is love? What, what do they say to Jesus? What's the great commandment? Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And then you've done it. So love, of course Christ is perfect love. Now if you don't understand, if you can't always think back to Eden, then you start thinking, how does he the law which demands and how is it the gospel that gives? Well, the answer is, it's all in how it's engaged. If you say to Christ, thank you very much, he comes to you and says, I love you, I'm for you, I bless you, be mine. And you say, thank you very much, he's to you pure gospel. If you say what Adam and Eve said, which is, we've got a better idea and we think we're going to go it on our own this time without a professional, Right? Then he's the law to you because we always fail and come up short. You okay? It's extraordinarily important for you to keep this because it goes to preaching in just a second. Go ahead, James. Right? Fantastic. 
Okay, if there's no law and gospel in Eden, what's coming from the tree? <clears throat> you have a boy. You have boys. My mother had four boys. You got two boys. You're only halfway there. All right? <clears throat> no, and I was, I was only observing the data, not asking for a projection. So uh, you got boys who I can still remember. I hope my mom's not listening to this, but I can still remember. I don't think she knows this. She doesn't listen to this. I started my house on fire twice when I was a kid. I hope my kids aren't listening to me either. I don't think my parents knew either time, which is, uh, you can say what you want about that. But I do remember the day when I took all the 4th of July fireworks, all, all the sparklers. Because, you know, you can trust eight kids with sparklers, right? I crumpled them all off the wires and put them in a planter's peanut can. And then we stood back and, like, did this with matches until one went in, farmer's matches. It looked like a jet engine. <laughs> and we were, of course, were inside. <laughs> and you could still faintly see the burn marks on the beam 10 feet up in the garage, okay? Well, I don't know. I moved into the city in fifth grade, so I was pre-fifth grade. But you know, I grew up in Iowa. The rules are different. So all right, so here's the thing. So if I say to my kids, don't put your sparklers in a can inside and light it on fire, is that law or gospel? I mean, here's the thing. I think it's the gospel. I'm like, because do you know what can happen to you? I mean, the things that you, I was talking with, who was I talking with? Was I talking with the undertaker this week? Who was I talking Somebody. Musing about the different, one, I always muse about kids who get caught and kids who don't get caught because there's very little difference, you know. I always feel bad for the kids who get caught because all the other kids are doing the same stupid stuff. So kids who get caught, you know, that's just, they just got, they just got a bad draw. They had a bad day, often. Um, and the musing is the fact that we're still alive, you know, with the stuff that we did when we were kids, you know. Well, I know I was musing. I can remember that I went, I was, I used to hunt with friends under the, I remember, because I remember getting a shotgun and hunting with friends without adults. Now, we were taught very well, but I still think to myself, would I put a gun in my kids' hands now? Okay, I grew up in Iowa, okay, it's different. Okay? But if I say to my kid, don't put your sparklers in a can and light it on fire in the garage, because even though I made it out, you know what, bad things are gonna happen. Is that the law of the gospel? I think that's pure gospel. I'm doing that out of love for my kid. Don't go over there. Or I've often given you an example. Have you been to the Grand Canyon? You go to the Grand Canyon, when you take your kids, There'll be this sign. There's not, always a, there's not always a fence, but there's a sign that says, don't go past this point or you'll fall into the canyon. Every year, about six people fall into the canyon. Actually, there was just one at the end of last summer. I just remember some kid fell off, like, you know, all the way. To, you know, right, the sign says, don't go. So is the sign law or gospel? That sign is pure gospel, which is, this side is life, and this is death. And I'm just telling you, this is death. If you go over there, you'll die. It'll be horrible. Don't do that. That's the kindest thing that somebody could say to you. Or come to church every Sunday where the Eucharist is and you can baptize your kids and just move from life to death. That is the kindest, most loving thing. I mean, that is, see, so, so it begins. So now I'm going to push you all the back to the tree in the garden. All is well. And Jesus just says, don't touch that. Just don't touch that. That's not going to be good for you. Did you ever have friends who used to take wires and stick them in the electric outlets and make them glow? Yeah. You guys had really boring friends. Do you want me to tell you some more stuff? I mean, you didn't do any of this stuff? 
Did you ever throw him eight as a skunks? Huh? My best friend, as I've told you, in, in, as all the way through, up through high school, his favorite sound is breaking glass. I'm like, this is great. Because the sound of breaking glass is, you know, it's its own, it's its own kind of cool sound, you know? Okay, so is that law or God? I, I just, I beg you to understand that that's the gospel. When, when your parents say to you, that's not going to be good for you, don't do that. That is just, when Jesus says, don't touch that tree, don't touch that tree, that belongs to me. And if you touch that, you're going to know things that you shouldn't know. That's just, that's just love. That's pure love. Now, if you touch it, it really makes him cranky. Okay? You know, it really makes him cranky. And you can touch it enough that he'll finally say, if that's what you want, I guess I'll let you have that, which is kind of how your kids grow up. At some point, you have to say, if that's what you want, there's nothing I can do, but it really makes me, it really kills me. Please, 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 you know. So if you can understand it in that way, that single word, don't touch that, that is pure gospel. That is like, don't do that. You'll never recover from that. Do not do that. Do not. Please don't do that. I love you. Please, please, please don't touch that. Does that work? Yeah, okay. Anything else? This is just so important because we, what we have in our heads, what we have in our heads is anytime we're told not to do something, that we're being disadvantaged. Many times we're being advantaged. To make every mistake yourself is a huge disadvantage. You know, to never be able to learn from somebody else is a huge disadvantage. Yes, Del? Are you asking what's the difference, or are you observing there's a difference? Yes. <clears throat> Since it was your observation that there might be not a difference between children and the congregation, I'm just going to let that pass, and people can meet with you after this meeting. <laughs> but 11, we should be done, Del. You want to leave your home phone number? <laughs> yes, it is good for you. The laws, I try to, and I try to make that point. People, when I give this little speech, even to seminaries, they always say, you're saying the law's a bad thing and God gave it. No, I'm not saying, I'm saying it's a great thing. I'm saying be thankful for the fact that somebody told you to do that. Okay, just be thankful. It's just, it's really important. Yes, please. Yeah, no, I made, I know. I got the laugh at your expense. I'm sorry. Okay, no. forgive me. Yeah, right. Yes, right. So it's, your point is, and your honest point is, it's easier to do that with two or three kids than it is to do it with two or three thousand people. I mean, everybody knows that after your third kid, you, you know, you stop playing man-to-man, -man, you fall back into a zone. I mean, everybody knows you're just playing defense from then on, okay? And it's not, it's not unlike a congregation. A congrega and that's partly why, from the very first day I was here, I said, this is the time where we build common ground. All the heavy lifting is done in this 45 minutes. Everything important is done here. Because it's the only place where everybody's going to hear the same thing. Okay, so this is the most important time. Yes, Miss Yonker, you want to rebut your husband? Yeah. No, I just want to clarify. Yes, go ahead. <laughs> He's a nice man.
Yes, good. Um, yeah, that's a very good question. Uh, I'm trying to find that. I know the answer. I don't know how to say the answer. The question, yeah, I'm even trying to rephrase the question. It was a very good question. She's basically saying um, there was no law and gospel, then there's law and gospel. It isn't, let me just see if this is fair to your question. Jesus seems like all gospel and no law in Eden. I would say that too. I would, I would say that and say that it's the same thing. She's saying when Jesus says, don't touch that tree, that's actually a loving gospel act, which I would, I would, I would say that Christ is love, his character is love, his actions are all love. So here's even a more precise way. There's only gospel in Eden. I'd be willing to say it that way. There's not a law and gospel distinction yet in Eden. It's, they're categories that don't yet exist because they don't need to exist because nobody's rebelled yet. He's just pouring himself out in love, more love, more love, more love, and everybody's going, this is great. This is great. Isn't this great? It's just like the transfiguration last week. It's great for Moses and Elijah. They'll have him in his brightness, and it's all fine, and the disciples are terrified. They don't need to be terrified. They are. They, they hate the moment. They're falling backwards. They're covering up. It's the greatest moment of their lives. They get to see God face to face. It's a glimpse of heaven. And they can't take it because it's all about them and their terror, right? So, so here's the thing. Part of it is, is, this is and this is going to take some maturity, but I'm just gonna, I'll cut to the chase a little bit, which is we tend to judge what's being said by whether it hurts us or not rather than whether or not it's true. Oh, gosh, yes. It's, yes. Yes, yeah. We absolutely, the question is, don't we need law after fall? We absolutely need the law. That's the point in the sermon this morning about if we're left to ourselves, we just become more and more demonic. We become more and more subhuman. You know, we just, we devolve into, into, into chaos, into evil, into pain. We just, it just gets worse and worse for us. We need somebody to tell us but see, our presumption is that we know ourselves best, and I'm going to make my own way. But as soon as you realize that Christ knows more and is more and sees more and knits together more, as soon as you realize that he's beyond you and can give you a little help, it's great. Do you have a GPS? Do you have a GPS? No, not everybody likes the GPS. Yeah, I mean, that's, if you could have a GPS or... Oh, boy. I See, now that's the thing, right? You know where I was going there. Well, you know what I was going to see now? Uh, let's just, oh, boy. I know. Thank Just keep moving. Keep moving. Yeah, see, not everybody likes a GPS. Well, that's what some people who don't like it say. I put my utter faith in it. I'll be the guy who will die in the drainage just taking the right turn because the GPS said, because I trust the GPS knows more than me, you see? That's an imperfect analogy, but if I have to choose between the GPS and anybody else in the car, I'm taking the GPS. Okay? <laughs> Knows more than me, sees more than me, puts things together. It's bigger than me. It's all going to be okay. Yes, it is. It is a step up. Everything is a step up from the guy who won't ask directions. Okay. So turn to, turn to 32. I'm not going to get done, but it's more fun not getting done, apparently. Gaining, you're off the hook again for next week. Meet your parents in Florida. All right, so, um, and the, here's the other thing. It's, it's full blast, and this is the Lutheran thing. Grace is entire or not at all. It's never piecemeal, as Luther puts it. 
You're either a child of the devil or a child of God, either in the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of light, either in the state of grace with God or under his wrath. There's no middle ground, okay? Now this is just, this should be, I'm not saying anything else that I didn't say while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. He loves us so that he, he comes to us even when we're in rebellion. He meets us in hell, in our death. And Jesus will not be your enemy unless you force him to be your enemy. And you've got to work hard. I mean, he, he, he works hard in the font when he baptizes you. He works hard at the Eucharist. He works hard with his Holy Spirit. You've got to work hard to make Jesus your enemy. You know, you've got to work really hard. Okay? But I just give you this bottom thing where there's no sin, um, there's no guilt, and no shame, and no hell. So I'm not a very good, I have a very low guilt uh, meter. Like sometimes people try to guilt me into things. It doesn't work at all. Because I just, if I'm no sin, there's just no guilt. So you can, you know, play that card all day long and it has virtually no effect. But if I'm wrong, I am crushed by it. You know, and I, I don't take my own advice and I don't really believe you forgave me the first time around. And I should probably ask your forgiveness four or five times and go to the Eucharist all week. So a real sin, when there's no sin, there's no guilt, but a real sin is a devastating thing. It breaks you, it breaks community, it puts evil into the world, it, it sets a new direction for your life together. Real evil is a, is a very difficult thing. And so we need to kind of move away from that, okay? So, and I, now just a little sub-point. I know, you know, our whole life here together, I mean, we kind of know what we're trying to do. We're trying to push you in a particular direction, and I'm well aware that, you know, Sunday morning and Tuesday night with the men and Friday morning with the women and Saturday morning for the catechumen, I am well aware that we are, we're pushing you toward is to do some good in the world. And I know that some of you have, you know, had to take Benadryl before you come and hear me because it makes you itch when I talk that way because you're Lutheran. However, you know, it's extraordinary for you, important for you to understand that Christ is one big bundle of good works. And when you split justification and sanctification, you cut Christ in half. You get the whole Christ. You get the Christ who lived perfectly according to the law and gives you himself perfectly and animates you perfectly. So any good work you do belongs to him and any evil work you do belongs to you. And your works in between, he forgives your good works. So it's just so important to understand this. Sometimes Lutherans are so scared to do the right thing because they think somebody's going to say you're earning your way to heaven. I already asked you. There wasn't one hand that went up in the room that said, I asked you, raise your hand if you're scared you're, you know, you don't have enough good works to go to heaven. If that's your issue, we'll talk about that all day long, but that's not your issue. So it's time to move on and talk about something else. And Galatians and James talk about that all, all the way through. From here on, from Galatians 3, Paul's talked for a couple of chapters about being forgiven. He's going to talk all about living forgiven until he gets to Galatians 6, 10, where he says, do some good. James doesn't wait that long. James just has said, man, you, he, I mean, he's going to go after him. He's going to say, you're wicked, you're evil, you show preference to the rich. You, you know, we read that, and, and, you know, if we say you parked in a handicapped space, we've got to have a voters meeting. So, you know, I mean, there, a little joke there. Man, I must have got your, I, I thought I was, I should have go back to the GPS joke. <laughs> I'll have to pay for that later, though, so. All right, so just look at Titus 2, 11 to 4. Here it is in one sentence. For the grace of God has appeared. It appears in the person of Christ, right? Grace appears, John chapter 1. <coughs> Bringing salvation for all people, John three sixteen. 
But look now. Look how quickly he goes from, as you would say, justification to sanctification, from being forgiven to living forgiven, from incarnation for the salvation of the world to incarnation for the life of the world. Look how quickly he flips. Everybody does this. All the cool kids are doing this. You should do it too. All your friends are jumping off a bridge. Jump off a bridge. Here it is right here. They're all talking about good works. Training us, and if you've ever been training for anything, you know sometimes that's painful, to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. So don't touch that tree. Don't do that. No sparklers in the peanut can. And to live self-controlled. There's some things you don't want to do because they'll make you subhuman. Upright, as opposed to things on the down low, things that are secret, things that are hidden, things that are hurtful, things, you know what that is. And godly lives in the present age, right now, today, godliness in real time, waiting for our blessed hope. There's no contradiction. There's no contradiction between living as a Christian now full blast and someday going to heaven where you'll be fuller blast. Okay? Waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who, now let's just swing back in because these are the same thing. One Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, to redeem us from all lawlessness, which means you can't have lawlessness and be a Christian. You can't, you can't live. You can't live with all your little hoodlum friends once you're baptized. There's a great line in either 1 Peter or 2 Peter where he says, None of your old friends with whom you used to do all the things of the world understand you anymore. That's a great line. Your old friends don't understand you because you're living in a different way. And to purify for himself, he does the verbs, gospel, he purifies you for himself, a people for his own possession. And that should be, you should be thinking Adam and Eve, you should be thinking Israel, you should be thinking the church, you should be thinking the martyrs around the throne. You should see the elders dressed in white. You should think the eternal Eucharist. You should think of your people who died yesterday because they're all there right now. He purified them for himself. Who are, who are these people? These are they who have come out of the great tribulation, who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb and are as white as snow. Okay? Who gave himself a people for his own possessions, zealous for good works. So he saved, grace saves us and it trains us. It incorporates us and it teaches us to participate. It is Christ for us and Christ in us. Don't split your Jesus in Christ. If there's two things I'd love you to pick up from all we've said so far is don't cut Jesus in half and everything can be said two ways. If you get kind of these baseline things, life will start to make sense. Boom, boom, boom. If you never get them, you'll never figure it out. You just never will. Don't cut Jesus in half. He is being forgiven, living for us. He's everything. And Jesus can be said two ways. You rebel against him, he's your greatest enemy. You run with him, he's your greatest love. Okay, make sense? You still okay? Because if you don't get that straight, we're about to put the pastor into the mix and you won't know what to do. Um, on 33, I've kind of... Ah. It's extraordinarily important that the pastor knows what to do. And uh, you're going you're gonna to get your chance to ask that question next week, uh, which is good. You should ask a question. You should ask the question. Uh, <laughs> believe me, even the pastor wonders sometimes if he knows what to do. Uh, you can read this from the confessions. I basically just put this in because I, I basically put it in to, to, to sort of mollify the protest that we were talking too much about good works. 
You know, the Confessions talk about good works. To some extent, you, your reason is free and you can lead a virtuous life. You know, even good pagans build a wing on the hospital. You know, there are perfectly moral Muslim folks, you know. If I wasn't a Christian, I'd be a Taoist because I think their way of engaging the world is, well, in a civic way, superior to the way many Christians engage the world. Um, you know, people can, you can order your life in a moral way that you don't hurt other people. But to be born anew, to receive an inwardly a new heart, a mind, a spirit, is solely the work of the Holy Spirit. Right. I believe that I can't believe a small catechism. But look at this. He opens the intellect to think and the heart love to understand the scriptures and heed the word as we read in Luke 24, 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. That's the liturgy. That's the mass robe. First he teaches them the word. Then he gives them the sacraments. Then he opens their mind to the word and sacraments. And then he disappears because now you've got church and you can just carry on until he comes back. Likewise, Lydia heard, for God's at work in you. See, God is doing it both to will and to work. It gives repentance. He works faith. This is the word of God. God gives, God removes, God creates. It's ten lines from the bottom. In short, every good gift comes from God. James, look at that. Isn't that great? No one can come to Christ unless the Father draws him. Boom, God does it to you. Even gives even everything. It's all about Christ. And apart from me, you can't do anything. So here's, uh, you know, I guess I have to stop here. I, I thought I'd get farther. So if you run with Jesus, he's gospel. If you run against him, he's law. Every word, even the word eternal, Christ himself, can be said two ways. And I gave you a lily or sword, which is Matthew 26. Jesus comes down regularly in artwork. You see Jesus descending on the last day. He has a sword in one hand, a lily in the other. He'll either cut you in half or he hands you a flower and say, isn't life beautiful? Okay. And this is, I guess, then what I want to ponder with you next time is we have divided hearts. Um, you know, inside my heart is sin, and inside my heart is Christ, and there's a daily battle. And if you absent yourself from the scriptures, and you absent yourself from the Eucharist, and you absent yourself from confession, and you absent yourself from baptism, the sinful part grows. There's nothing to stymie it. It constantly grows. Man, if you want to bet on something, bet on original sin. You know, Neil Young, Rust Never Sleeps. If you want to bet on something, bet on sin. Unless, of course, you think that the world is a bigger place than just what you see, then you bet on Christ. And with every act, with every breath, you're making one better another. So um, the problem with this is, is that we uh, aren't, there's a hundred problems with this, from we don't understand authority to we don't like to be told what to do, from we like to be captain of our own ship to we think we know what's best for us, to we don't listen very well, to we just get lazy and self-centered, to blah, 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 blah. Now, knowing that about ourselves, we've got to say, how does the Lord fix us? And there's a way that he fixes us. He fixes us in community. He fixes us with the mutual consolation of brothers and sisters in Christ. He fixes us with pastors. And by the way, just to your point, Bill, you should be scared of any pastor that doesn't have a pastor. So... That takes everybody off the hook, but the Pope will work on him later. And um, 
but then you have to start to say, what does that look like in real time? And I, I can just tell you where I'm going, uh, just so you can kind of think about this. Um, my great nervousness is, is how much we dodge what we don't want to hear, which is different from it not being true. And what, what I often find is, uh, in myself and in you and in others, we find a way to escape what we don't want to hear, what might be true but pinches us, you know, what's true but would force us to open our hands and be free to an outcome we may not want to embrace, what's true but would force us to say, I was wrong and you were right. We aren't, we aren't very good with that. Um, and at baseline, that is an issue of trust. <coughs> you might, as a warm-up, I didn't put this in here, but you might, um, you might read the story of, of in Matthew 21 about the boy whose father says to him, remember, there's this great, Jesus is doing all this stuff and he's making everybody nervous. The Pharisees come and say, by what authority do you do these things? And then he tells a story about the boy who's told to do something and he doesn't do it. But later, the word says he changed his mind, but it's a, it's a play on words because the Greek word also means he felt horrible. So it means he felt so horrible that he changed his mind. Both those things are going on at once. Jesus just tells that story and leaves it lying there. So basically what Jesus says is, our problem with authority is our problem with trust and rebellion. Our problem with authority is we don't obey because we don't believe. I mean, basically, Jesus is saying, the reason you don't obey me is you don't really believe in me. If you really believed I was the word made flesh, you'd do whatever I say. And that is a tough go. Now, the gospel in that story is that the boy actually changes his mind because his life gets so miserable. And, of course, what Jesus is trying to say to people is, you should change your minds, too. But I'm just going to plant this, and then we'll pick it up next time. You'll remind me, I hope. You, you need to understand the difference between authority and power, and almost nobody in the church understands that. Authority is the way of the gospel. Jesus comes with great gravitas, with authority, and he delivers his gifts, and they do all kinds of good. But they don't force. At the end of the day, if you don't want them, he moves on. That's how, that's how things are going to work until the second coming. They're going to work by authority, and just by the by, that's how pastors work. They deliver the goods, and you'll have them or you won't, but you'll, you should never find your pastor forcing you to do anything. Strong, yes. Crisp, yes. Clear, yes. Blunt sometimes, yes. But force, no. Forces is power. And Jesus doesn't do that. And on the last day, he'll come, and with power, he will sort things out. And then his power and authority will become one, and then we're back to even where there's no law and gospel. Just kind of think about that. He's putting his life, he's putting, he's putting his creation back together again, and there'll be a time when everything gets clear again. It's going to be marvelous. But for now, here's what you have to understand. Authority has to do with trust. No, no, no respect of authority means no trust, which means no obedience. It all fits together, which means you're not who you say you are. That's what the Pharisees said to Jesus. You're not really who you say you are. Okay. And that all fits. You might just read that text and kind of go, go forward with that. And then we need to talk about, you know, what that means and how everything fits together because churches are complicated places and, um, you know, we're complicated people. So anyway, that's too long. Uh, I really thought I was going to be done, but 
I'm not. So uh, you might just peek at those last two pages and try to come back. We'll see what happens. All right. Um, thanks for your time and your questions. You can shoot me an email or give me a question before next week if you have one. Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for your time.